In the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations. From the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today, it may be that when the house of Judah hears of all the disasters that I intend to do to them, all of them may turn from their evil ways, so that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. To us, what Jeremiah decided to do there, his decision to create a written record of the prophecies that he had spoken, makes perfect sense. Jeremiah was a prophet. He had spoken the word of Yahweh. So what he said was important, really important. And for us, the most obvious thing to do with important words is to write them down and preserve them. What we fail to realize is that Jeremiah lived in a very different world from the one that we live in. He lived in a world where the vast majority of people could neither read nor write. And that included Jeremiah himself. Despite what it says in those verses I just read, Jeremiah didn't actually write the scroll himself. He had to employ a professional, a man named Baruch, to do it. In Jeremiah's world, writing down important words didn't mean, as it might mean to us, preserving those words as a legacy that would be available to all people. It meant consigning those words to a small, educated elite who might decide to use them for their own purposes. Prophets like Jeremiah often use the phrase, the word of Yahweh or as it's usually translated into English, the word of the Lord. Now, when modern people use that phrase, they are almost always referring to a written word. Christians, for example, often use that phrase as a synonym for the Bible itself. But I think that it's important to recognize that for the ancient prophets, the word of the Lord was always a spoken word. It was a word from God that was spoken by the prophet in the immediate situation. So how did we get from that idea of the word of the Lord to the idea that is common today? Well, it turns out that there's a story about that. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 4.16 Writing the Word of Yahweh Jeremiah paced back and forth in his house. It was just so frustrating. He was a prophet. God was speaking to him daily, showing him things. 
He could see, for example, just how disastrous were the policies of King Jehoiakim, the way that he was leading the nation, and particularly his policy towards the Babylonians, was going to lead to disaster. It was crystal clear to Jeremiah, and that meant that it was absolutely a message from Yahweh. And the word of Yahweh had to be spoken. It was simply inconceivable to Jeremiah that he should receive a message from God and then not declare it. But here was the problem. Jeremiah had been banned. He had been banned from the temple and the temple courtyards. He had been banned from the king's house and courtyard as well. If you could not go where the people were, how could you deliver them the word of Yahweh? It was becoming like a madness for Jeremiah. The word of Yahweh had to be spoken to have power. He felt as if he would burst if he could not find some outlet, some way to pass on the message that he had been given. Arrgh, it was just so maddening. Jeremiah, honestly, like most of the prophets, had a bit of a wild and erratic character. When he got worked up like this, however, he did have a few friends he could go to who would help him to calm down. One of the best of them was a man named Baruch. Baruch was a scribe. That meant that he engaged in an activity that Jeremiah greatly admired, but barely understood. Baruch could take the words of anybody, whether they be lists of inventory, personal greetings or petitions, and translate them into arcane marks on expensive scrolls of parchment. These scrolls could then be taken to some other place or stored until a later time, and then be unrolled and translated back into speech. The amazing thing about what Baruch did was that it seemed to have this power to freeze and preserve words. Jeremiah frankly found this to be a bit suspicious. As a prophet, he knew intimately just how powerful words could be, how they could convict challenge and motivate. And there seemed to be something wrong with the idea of draining all that energy and power from words and confining them upon a piece of parchment. But then, Jeremiah considered, perhaps that was what allowed Baruch to live his life on a much more even keel. He didn't deal with active and powerful words, but rather with tamed and confined words. And yet, at the same time, Jeremiah knew that words on parchment really could change things. He had seen that only too clearly when he was a younger man, back when Josiah, the king's father, had ruled and had only been a boy himself. Back then, a scroll had been discovered in the house of Yahweh, a scroll that contained an ancient law. 
as a result of that scroll being found and read, just about everything had changed in the kingdom. Josiah instituted reforms that affected just about every area of the people's lives. And Jeremiah had rejoiced in those reforms. He had supported them and even preached in favor of them. That had mattered. That had changed things. So Jeremiah knew that words on scrolls could have an impact. But prophetic speech was something that was so immediate and active. It was not like a law that was meant to stay the same forever. And so there seemed to be something wrong with reducing it to words on a parchment. But what if... Yes, Jeremiah decided that it was maybe time for him to visit his old friend, Baruch. Baruch sprang to his feet as soon as he heard his friend Jeremiah calling to him from outside his house. The older man was calling with such urgency that Baruch was sure that there must be some dire emergency to be dealt with. He brought Jeremiah into his house before he could start to cause a scene. But then he had to wait for the prophet to calm down before he could even understand what he had come to say. I just want to know if it's possible, Jeremiah kept saying. Can it be done? Finally, Baruch managed to get his friend a little more focused. What are those things that you make on your scrolls when you do your work? Jeremiah asked. What do those marks really mean? Baruch struggled to explain it to someone who really did not have the faintest idea of how the process worked. Well the scribe said. Each one of these marks indicates a sound made by a speaker. For example, he picked up a pen and a pot of ink and rummaged around for an old scrap of parchment. He made a square symbol with an open side on the page. See, this mark indicates a b sound. He wrote another mark to the left of it. And this mark represents the rrr sound. Beside it, he put a single vertical stroke. This one means ooh. He added one final mark on the left. And this is for the k sound. Now he began to move the end of his pen over what he had drawn. See? Baruch. 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 You see? It is my name. But anything anyone says, I can write down the symbols, and then somebody else can turn them back into the sounds again. Okay, Jeremiah said hesitantly. That might work with lists of inventory or bills of sale, but surely truly powerful words could not be captured in this way. 
Baruch was adamant. No, anything, he said. Okay, said Jeremiah, but what about the word of Yahweh? Can that be put on a scroll? Baruch hesitated a beat before answering that. Yes, he nodded. I know that it can be done. Well, let's give it a try then, shall we? Baruch had no idea what he had gotten himself into. He spent several hours of every day for the next several weeks holed up in his house with Jeremiah while the prophet repeated every single word, every oracle, every curse that he had uttered in the name of Yahweh. And Jeremiah had been speaking the word of Yahweh for a very long time. There were poems that he had uttered years before, and yet he recited them to Baruch again as if no time at all had passed. And yes, if you had been there when Jeremiah first said it, and then you heard him say it again in Baruch's house, you might have noticed that it was not exactly word for word the same. But, you see, that was one of the things that marked it as the word of Yahweh. It had remained alive ever since Jeremiah had first said it. It was only natural if it had continued to find ways to speak to the kingdom with freshness. After many days' hard work, Jeremiah finally came to an end. Baruch finished recording the last few words and put down his pen, rubbing the stiffness out of the bones in his left hand. He blew on the ink to encourage it to dry and looked at the scroll spread out upon the board that sat upon his lap. Well said Jeremiah. That is it. Are you sure that you have truly captured the word of Yahweh on your piece of hide? I have, replied the scribe, with a look of wonder on his face. Ah, said the prophet, but there really is only one way to prove that, isn't there? And how is that? Baruch wanted to know. Somebody is going to need to go and recite these words where the people are, in the temple courtyard. Baruch laughed as he closed up his ink pot and wiped his pen. <laughs> but who's going to be so foolish as to do something like that? He fell silent and may have turned a little pale when he looked up to see how Jeremiah was looking at him. Baruch grumbled to himself as he entered into the temple courtyard. 
It was bad enough that Jeremiah insisted that he had to come and read the scroll at the temple. But why did it have to be today of all days? It was a solemn fast, the kind that was only held on days of national observance. On an ordinary day, the temple courtyard would be full, of course, but it would be full of local people who had come to carry out their business, do some sacrifices, and meet their friends. The local people had heard Jeremiah speak many times. They knew what kind of hothead he was, and they'd learned not to overreact to his over-the-top pronouncements. But on a fast day, people came in from towns and villages, people who were not used to the hustle and bustle of the big city. For them, all of this material would be fresh and powerful. Today, more than any other day, what Baruch had come here to do was bound to create a reaction. But the secretary had no choice. He had made a promise to Jeremiah. He had made an oath. He could not break it. He was going to have to follow through. So Baruch found a spot where a number of people were milling about. It was a small alcove known as the chamber of Gamaria, son of Shaphan, the secretary. He sat down and began to unroll the scroll, an act that in itself attracted a fair bit of attention. Scrolls, after all, were rare and valuable. Many of the rural folk had probably never even seen one before. It was bound to spark some curiosity. Baruch began to read. He was completely aware that he was not the speaker that Jeremiah could be. The words came halting and slow, as he had to sound each one out in his own head. He did not speak with the conviction that Jeremiah brought to his word. But if he had feared that his own voice would rob the word of Yahweh of its power, he was absolutely mistaken. The words were powerful, and it wasn't long before he began to hear the people weep in response to the dire prophecies that he was reading. He heard the people begin to tear at their clothing and some to cast dirt upon their heads. But Baruch did not dare to look up. He kept his eyes fixed on the text before him. He was afraid, afraid of his own emotional reaction to the words that he was reading, and that if he looked up and saw the eyes of the people, he would become as terrified as them. He was also afraid of the reaction of the officials. Not surprisingly, that reaction came rather swiftly. Micaiah, the son of the man in whose chamber he sat, was the first to react. When he heard the words being read, and when he saw the reaction of the people, he didn't walk 
to speak to the highest officials that he could find. He ran. Within minutes, a guard had been dispatched, and Baruch was gently but firmly told that he was to go to see the king's secretaries. Before he knew it, Baruch found himself shut up in a tiny little cell with some of the most important scribes and secretaries of the kingdom. The door was shut, and the windows were shuttered. It was so hot and so close that Baruch was sweating. The men insisted that he sit and open the scroll, and they listened while once again he read those powerful words of the prophet. If it was possible, the secretaries had an even stronger reaction than the people had had. That's when Baruch really began to feel terrified. These were men who had heard everything, who had read the diplomatic threats of great powers like Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt. He would have thought that there was nothing that could faze them. But the words that he was reading were really shaking them to their core. That was the moment when Baruch finally understood that there actually was a sense that upon this scroll that lay unrolled upon his lap, the word of Yahweh had indeed been contained. The next phase in the story took place without the presence of Baruch. He was sent away for his own good and safety. He'd been sent away with a warning both he and Jeremiah had better get into hiding as quickly as possible. The powerful secretaries had indeed been convinced that the words upon the scroll truly were the word of Yahweh, and they had decided that the scroll needed to be taken to the king. So it was only later that both Baruch and Jeremiah heard about what happened when the scroll was read to the king as he sat in his winter palace. The officials went into this reading very nervous. They knew how powerful this word was, and they were afraid of how the volatile king might react. They were ready for him to yell and scream. They were even prepared for him to act with regret and repentance, tearing his robes and putting ashes on his head. What actually happened, they found far more unnerving. The king showed no emotional reaction whatsoever. He just sat there, completely dispassionate. He heard the words. They knew that he did. But he just didn't react. Except there was this one thing that he did. As the scribe finished reading the second column on the scroll, and as he began to roll it so that he could continue to read, the king casually leaned over and grabbed hold of the small knife that the scribes used to shape the nibs of their pens. He drew the knife over the parchment and cut it off. And then, just as casually, he tossed the scrap into the brazier 
that was burning to warm the room. The reader and all the scribes present were shocked, but they dared not react. The statement that the king seemed to be making with this almost blasphemous act seemed clear. This scroll might indeed contain the word of Yahweh, but if the scroll was perishable, well then, so was that word. The reading continued with the king periodically employing the knife and tossing a few more columns into the fire until finally the entire scroll was gone. Both Baruch and Jeremiah were laying low. But some of the people who had been present in the room as this whole farce played out did seek them out and told them the news. They found Baruch first, and he was devastated. It was bad enough, of course, that the king had wantonly destroyed the scroll that had cost the scribe so many hours and days of work and a significant financial cost as well. But that was, of course, only the beginning. The king had destroyed something much more valuable than that. Baruch was now convinced that it was the very word of Yahweh that the king had thrown into the fire. And so it was with great trepidation that Baruch went to find Jeremiah and tell him the news. But, much to his surprise, Jeremiah was not upset. He was jubilant. You did it, Baruch, he cried. You actually did it. You really did capture the word of Yahweh on a scroll of parchment. Oh, I'll confess that I still had my doubts. I didn't think it was possible. But you have proven me wrong. And you know what this means, right? Baruch had a sinking feeling that he knew exactly what it meant. You're going to want me to write another scroll, aren't you? It is amazing to consider that within the book of Jeremiah, we have an actual account of how the book, or at least a good portion of it, came to be written down. When we read the Bible, we have this natural tendency to bring all kinds of our modern assumptions to what we read. We live in a society that may possibly have the highest levels of literacy in all human history. We also live in a society that does not remember what written texts were like before the invention of the printing press and the possibility of making almost limitless identical copies of any text. We just generally assume that the written word is the best way to preserve and pass on information and that if something is in print, it must be reliable. Of course... This assumption often gets us into trouble because it makes it possible for people to effectively spread misinformation through print. But that does not stop us from believing in the written word.
This has become especially true in religious communities where the written word is elevated and often given almost divine status in itself. For us, the word of the Lord is best imagined as a book. What we fail to recognize is that none of those assumptions worked in ancient Israel, which was a fundamentally oral society. There has been a great deal of discussion and study on the levels of literacy in ancient Israel. There may be some evidence in certain eras that there was a higher literacy rate among Jews than among neighboring groups, but none of that changes the fact that it was an oral society which brought some particular assumptions in its baggage. The prophets, in particular, appear to have worked in a completely oral world. Almost all of their prophecies that have been preserved are in poetic form, which is the primary format in oral societies. Think of the great Greek epic poems, the Iliad and the Odyssey, that we know were preserved and spread in oral form for many generations. The prophets followed the same pattern. What's more, they seem to have operated under the assumption that prophetic speech was powerful precisely because it spoke in the moment, directly to the situation. For them, an oral prophecy was far more enduring and powerful than anything written down on a piece of parchment. These are assumptions that really make little sense to us. But that is how they would have seen it. That's what they would have taken for granted. And that is what makes the story of how Jeremiah was persuaded to commit his oral prophecies to a piece of parchment so interesting. In many ways, you might say that this episode is the story of the beginning of the very idea of written prophecy. Written law already existed by the time that Baruch wrote down Jeremiah's word. As the story of King Josiah indicates, written prophecy did not. I always find stories of such innovation to be extremely significant. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so that you can get the next one in a couple of weeks. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or some other podcasting platform is a great way to help other people find this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ah Da, and the mood music for this episode is River Fire. The music is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter, at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Written show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs> <laughs>